Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Marsha Van Wainsburg joins the podcast this week, and Marsha is exceptional. She is a speaker, an author, a podcaster, and a brilliant storyteller. And in this week's episode, we discuss the importance of your mental health, the importance of sharing your unique story, and how we overcome fear. In other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products daily. So click the link in the show notes and use the code EVERYBODY at checkout for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 163 of Something for Everybody. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashvitz. Marsha, good to see you. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Aaron. I'm great to, I'm excited to have a conversation with you today. Me too. I, I was, <laughs> I, you could tell how excited I was because I started picking your brain before we started recording, just about things that we're, we're doing, how we're, how we're going about it, the challenges we face. And before we get into all, all that, I have a very important question, the theme. Um, so hopefully you feel like answering honestly, but of course how are you doing like really how are you doing um i think huh, yeah i love that you put me on the spot here i'm gonna say i am doing well and it is a daily thing to navigate you know i think it's a daily thing to navigate when i have challenges and i've had a lot of challenges this last month i actually sit back and go how do i pour back into myself more how do i reach out and ask for help how do I maybe practice a little bit more grace and compassion? And I get, I'm very aware of when things feel off. So today I feel good. And today I am excited to be here to have some real honest conversations with you. Beautiful. How, how long did it take you to be able to answer a question like that and be able to figure out what you need, what you don't need? how to know that you should pour back into yourself or you should pull back or you should create a boundary or whatever the case may be is longer than I wish it had. I'm just going to say a lot longer than I wish it had. It, it was a very steep learning curve and um, I would figure it out and then I'd have a different challenge. And then it was like, wait, that didn't work. All right. Now reassess. Um, I think the best thing that I've done over the years is really be in tune with me and what works with me and ask those questions like, what am I feeling? What do I need today? And then follow through on that. I think building the best relationship I can with myself has been, been really important. And like it, that seems so like simple, right? Mm -hmm. But we go to, a, let's say we go to a movie, right? And at the end of the movie, we're always like, oh, did I like that movie? Was that movie good? Would I watch it again? Would I recommend it to my friends? But we rarely do that with sort of the more important things in our life, especially like how we're feeling when we wake up, 
or how that conversation with a friend was, or does that person give me energy or do they take away this energy? And like, it seems like I do it after I eat like a burger. I like, I have like this laundry list of things I loved or didn't like about this $7 burger from wherever I got it. And then, but like, I'm not doing that with things that actually will impact my life in a real way. Yeah. The food, well, food impacts your life in a real way, but mm -hmm. speaking of just other stuff, like it just, uh, you know, no real question here. Just like pointing that out that like we, we could do more of that and not to like, there's a point where you can have too much self-awareness where it sort of impedes like the action part of your life. Mm -hmm. But I think we could have a little bit more just reflection on sort of the day-to-day -day things like, like you're talking about. I, I think that's so, thank you for being honest there and for sharing that. Cause it just made me think about, yeah, we do put more thought into like the meal we're having sometimes and the movie that we're watching or the series. Um, I think that when the first thing I'm just going to go with my gut there, when you're talking about boundaries, for example, I am super conscious about who I spend my time with and like how that works. And there are times that I am supposed to be going to something, supposed to be doing something. And it's like, it just doesn't feel like the right fit. It's not what I need right now. And it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I won't be there. And that's it. And I think sometimes as humans, we're like, oh, but let me tell you everything that's going on in my life. So why I can't be there and what it's like, no, a true boundary doesn't actually require an explanation. But if you are somebody who actually has boundaries and sticks to them and, you know, shows up and lives them and embodies them, and you're trying to have a conversation with somebody who has no boundaries or doesn't respect that you have boundaries, you're never going to be able to explain to them why you have it. And so it's, it's just been very interesting to navigate because I've actually turned down a couple things this, this past month where I was like, mm, nope, that doesn't feel good at all. And I don't have to know why, and it doesn't have to be about somebody else. It's what do I need right now? Hmm. You're, you're only able really to do that specifically you because you've built up a, a trust in yourself that you can actually trust your intuition and your gut. You know, and so that's, that's like an undeniable stack of proof that you have built that you've built up, right? So, but how do people get there, right? Because I'm not going to trust my gut or trust my intuition if all it does is lead me down a fucking terrible path because I keep getting hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt. And I'm like, I'm not trusting my gut. And so then I say sort of maybe yes to everything and no to these things. And I don't know which direction to go. Where would, where would someone might be able to start if they want to earn, earn that trust in themselves? So they have this this gumption about them to say yes and they want to say yes and no when they want to say no. What a fantastic question. Seriously, it really is. And it's just taking me back, <clears throat> pardon me, taking me back to early, early days when I would start. And one of the first questions a counselor asked me years ago was what brings you joy? Okay. Mm -hmm. I was living in an absolute gong show moment of our life where there was joy was seemed ridiculous to ask that question. You know, we were dealing with teen substance abuse. We were dealing with like chaos everywhere to even think of the word joy felt selfish. It really felt like that. I, I don't have time to look for joy. I'm trying to figure out my life right now. Um, and as silly as that sounds, that question was something that started to peak some thought for me. And I want to share that, that maybe that will help people who are listening is that, um, I was trying to block so many things out because it was, there was pain everywhere and it was, it was difficult. We were living in shame. There's all these pieces, 
but I really started to do some reading and understand like you can't selectively block emotions. You block one, you block them all. I was literally numb to everything. I was numb to so many things in my life because I felt like that was keeping me safe. And I had to stop and go, okay, if I was going to find joy with something in this moment, what would I do? And it's interesting because you can even put this question if you're listening to yourself. It's like you might say, I don't know what the answer is to that. Our subconscious mind almost always knows the answer. So what if what I say sometimes is like, I know you don't know, but if you did know, what would the answer be? And so I will say that even to myself. It's like, what do I need right now? I don't know the answer. Okay. But if you did know, what would the answer be? And the answer is always like something will come to me. So then that might be as simple as like listening to a podcast, listening to a book, going for a walk, sitting outside, taking some downtime, et cetera, connecting back in and almost like having these conversations, like what makes me feel better right now. And then now you're creating some data. And it's, you now have some feedback and what does that work? And what does that mean? How do I feel? And that might sound really silly to somebody who's listening, but like I grew up in the era where you did like six workouts a week. These were what the workouts were like. And I believe in being committed. I a hundred percent do, but there's not, there was never always room to meet me with where I was at that day. And so, for example, I know that I feel better when movement is part of my everyday movement is typically I walk my dog twice a day, 45 minutes at least, and I do some kind of workout. Now that workout is non-negotiable in the most sense, but what I do in that workout changes. Do I feel like yoga today? Do I feel like, you know, strength? Do I feel like my barbell? Do I feel like bike? What is that? And it's checking in, what do I need today? If I'm coming off of a really rough night's sleep, and I've been feeling a lot of anxiety and I'm feeling restless. As much as I'd love to push the weights like crazy, that might actually not be what I need that day. And so I just go into this dialogue and you create this feedback loop. And a really simple thing I've always used is like my decisions, every decision I make is moving me closer to or further away from where I want to go. Every single one moves me closer to or further away from where I want to go. And so where do I want to go? What do I want to create? What do I want it to look like? And is that decision moving me closer to or further away? So those are some of the things that I really, when I think back in the beginning stages, that's what I had to really start to do. Hmm. Because movement for you has always, that was like a part of your life much more before uh, mindset and emotional health was, right? So, yes. I mean, having that, foundational piece. Like for me, it was the same way. Like exercise was it, like that was my rock. And now I know much more about the brain, the body, the connection, everything. And I was like, wow, I had this like foundation that was doing great stuff for my brain. Maybe that's why I felt like good every day. Cause I was working out. And so <clears throat> same for you. I mean, I see you posting videos, but I also know that you are, you were, you're in the fitness, helping people move and walk and get back into shape before you started doing all this stuff. So that had to have been a solid foundation, right? For you to, yeah. for you to build on. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting though, because when I think back a hundred percent to what you're saying, I've learned to do it from a so much more of a loving space now than a, you have to do it this way space. Mm -hmm. That was not a loving, supportive, compassionate space. That was a, you need six days a week to work out in order to do this in order that Yes, I had movement as a foundation. I have a so much more loving appreciation for my body now 
And I just, I feel better about it in this way. But yes, movement definitely had an anchor in my life and always has been. Yeah, I, that, that resonates with me because, you know, being an athlete, you're just, you're told what to do, right? You have to work out at this point. And like, when I don't want to think about it, that's awesome. I, you know, I like sort of being told what to do in that, in that regard. But when you get out of that space and you become like a regular person in a regular life, no one's telling you what to do. And everyone assumes since you were an athlete, you have great time management skills, but that's really the opposite. I didn't have to manage my time at all. My whole schedule was filled up. I just showed, I just had to show up. And so now I'm having to figure this out. And so now like, like you're saying, like, okay, I woke up today, didn't get a great night's sleep. I don't have to work out, but what can I do that I know might just be beneficial? Okay. Maybe it's like a few jumping jacks. Like maybe it's just like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, walking around my house or like going outside for five minutes, like whatever the case may be is it's like these slow, steady steps. Um, but if you can learn early on to honor your body by moving it, it's, it's, I mean, it's like an incredible thing. And again, the same thing can be all about eating. Um, like if you, you're not going to eat perfectly all the time, that's, you know, that's just not going to happen. But if I know that I can eat certain foods that will nourish me to help me flourish and then I know when I'm eating them, I eat them with like the sense of like, yeah, I, I care about myself. So I'm eating good foods. And then my body responds in that way. And then, you know, and then it becomes this sort of downstream effect of all these positive outcomes. It, it, that's exactly what it is. It's a loop. And you just keep repeating that loop and you just keep like get creating feedback for yourself. What's working, what's not. Um, and coming from that space of honoring it is, is really important. I mean, I have friends who let like, they'll come to my house. They laugh because we food prep twice a week. My fridge is always full of options. I have a husband who is like an Olympic lifter. He's going to nationals and he's a CrossFit competitor. Okay. So my like, dude, let's go. Yes. He he's just, he's amazing. He really is. Um, but you can walk in and see that in my fridge. Like I have food prepped. I have my, my meals are almost always planned out. There's options there. I, it, it doesn't even cross my mind to give myself two hours to bulk cook and do things. That's just standard. Now, people think that's crazy, but guess what? I don't know when the last time I was to clean my house. Not important. It's just, it's just not important. So it's we all have things that are important to us. I'm not saying my house is filthy, but it's just <laughs> the priorities, right? It's just the priorities. That those are priorities for me that that I have. And it's taken a lot of my life to learn what those priorities are. Now, when things were chaotic, all of that went by the wayside. And I lost a lot of that. So it took me a while to get back to who I am, what's important to me and what, what I'm here to do. But I can't, you know, it's funny because as humans, when times are stressful, we let go of all the things that we know help us. Most of us do. We let go of all those things. And it's like, I just, I don't have time for any of that. I've got to figure this piece out. And we're not giving ourselves a fighting chance. And so I often say like those self-care things, if you can just practice over your lifetime, like you're building a toolbox and your toolbox is going to be different than my toolbox. And I have a bazillion different tools in my toolbox and you just keep adding them in. And then when stress increases, your self-care has to go up on the exact same trajectory to give yourself a fighting chance. And we never, we rarely ever do that as humans, right? We, we just abandon and abort everything and then are frustrated with ourselves because we're not doing as well as what we wanted to. And so that's one thing I want to add. The second thing is when you're going back to what you're talking about, the things that help you to feel better. I also think it's really important. And I just went back to this practice. I haven't done it for a long time is 
um, writing down my celebrations. Mm -hmm. So no, it's not the same as gratitude because gratitude, I, I just flip it a little bit. So celebrations, like what, what am I doing on a regular basis that I can clock it as winning? Like it's, and it can be just the silliest things. My water, my thing, like we've got to start to put attention on the things that we are doing right. Instead of continuously looking at where I'm not yet and what I am not doing. And and that's giving ourselves a fighting chance too. Absolutely. Those, those moments where we can positively reinforce ourselves by doing the thing that we said we we're going to do just repeats that behavior over and over again. Like you can relate it to a relationship. Let's say, Marsha, you and I just started dating, right? Mm -hmm. And we're about to go out to dinner. And mm -hmm. I look like a schmuck because I decided not to take it seriously. And you dressed up really nice. You got together and I said nothing. Okay, that's one date. I said nothing. I didn't notice. Okay. I do that two, three, four more times on the fourth date. You're never dressing up again ever. No. And I'm going to wonder why 20 years later, maybe we didn't make it 20 years. Maybe we made it five dates. Oh, yeah. Right. But the, the same answer is the same because I never told you that I appreciated it, that you looked beautiful. Thank you for putting in the effort. Mm -hmm. And there's no positive reinforcement for actually putting in the effort. And the same goes with ourselves, right? If I'm going to wake up and tell myself, I'm going to wake up at six 30 and I'm going to do one jumping jack and I do it. And I say nothing to myself, not even, Hey, good job, dude. Yep. Yep. Then why would I do it again? There's no, there's no, there's no dopamine that's being hit. There's no reinforcement. And so mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful reminder, but it's like an actual practice that you have to like seriously apply to your life. Just like, like you're saying, or there's nothing, or there's nothing to build on and there's no proof. You're not building your self-esteem or your self-worth. You're just remaining the same and you're wondering why. And then you get frustrated and then you start from zero again and you haven't, you know, and then all these things happen. But, uh, I think it's easy to relate it to sort of a relationship. That was a great way to relate it. It really was. It was a great way to, way to relate it. You're exactly right. And it's it was interesting because when I started this practice again, I've done this and I just let it go by the wayside, right? What happens when things are going well in our life? We tend to let go of some of the things that we know have been helping us. And I went, you haven't been doing the celebrations. And I sat down and it was like, you know what? It's like challenge yourself to stretch, not five gratitudes. Like I'm talking like, what have you done? today. And all of a sudden you start, you're looking consciously for what else have I done today? Oh, I did this. I said I would do this. And it's like, you know what? I am doing okay. Like I am doing, we have to start to, to stop and celebrate those things because I really think those are those habits that help us get through some of the challenging times too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the, one of the things I was thinking about when I was thinking about you before this episode was sort of like a like some of your, your big rocks that you like to get into the container. And I think one is, one is like the big one is obviously storytelling. And I think the other one is, is fear. And I want to, I want to touch on, mm -hmm. on fear, mm -hmm. what you think about it, how you overcame it, maybe how other people can overcome it and just general things you've learned about it and how you combat it on a day-to-day -day basis. I love this. Um, fear. <laughs> so fear I'm going to go here first because I think that this is where most people don't even, they start and stop like in one, one smack sentence, fear comes up. Oh crap. Can't do that. Um, again, just like building a better relationship with yourself. I think you can build a better relationship with fear. I think you can build a different relationship with it. I think coming in and expecting fear to never show up again 
that's not setting yourself up for success at all. Mm-hmm. Um, much like I had somebody I was interviewing and they made the comment that they don't have any, if you do the right work, they don't, you won't have any other limiting beliefs or you won't feel the fear. And I'm like, mm, I don't think I can let that one go. And I know I'm interviewing you and this is not, how this is, but I can't let that one go because I also don't want to send that message out there. I actually don't believe that. I don't believe it. I think the fear is always there. If you are saying you never have fear, then I would ask you how small is the circle you're playing in? Because I think that fear is part of life. And um, so if you can change the relationship with it and start to see it differently and recognize that every single person feels fear and they're all going through it every single day, we just decide what that relationship is going to look like. Now, in the beginning, when I, you know, I went from, I was very much advocating with um, the mental health, with our resources, with school, trying to get support with our kids. I wasn't hiding that, that piece of it, but I certainly was hiding from friends and circles and people in our, because I was feeling a lot of shame and I was getting a lot of pretty negative responses. Mm. So fear was controlling me there. I limited the spaces I would put myself in when I showed up where I was like, it's not uncommon. I've shared the story. I would go get groceries at like nine o'clock at night because I was less likely to see people. That's, that's what I was the space that I was in. And so, um, yeah, one second. was this in the, in the time frame where you were sort of in the, in the absolute thick of it with yes. um, the substance abuse? Yes. Okay. And that's that, that's that time. And I just want to give a context to people. Like I was literally hiding from the rest of the world because I, I didn't know how to navigate everyone else's opinions and judgments when I felt like I was such an empty hole of resources. Like I just didn't have anything else anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to save my kids is literally what I was trying to, that's my whole focus was. Um, hence I lost myself during that time. But fear was very much a a piece of being afraid of showing up, being afraid of using my voice and being heard. And fear comes down, came down to like, what will people think of me? What will they say about me? Because I felt like I had failed as a parent and as a mom, right? So I didn't want to put myself in a position where I was going to be hearing those kinds of things. But eventually you get to a point where it's like... <laughs> what am I so afraid of anymore? Because I have isolated myself so much so that my circle is incredibly small and I still have the same problems that I had before. So it's actually not preventing me from feeling anything. It's just, in fact, I'm incredibly isolated. And so I started to reach out into like some safe places. I say, can you just reach out into something that's a little bit of a stretch, right? Like your container will continue to get so small. So I think this circle that you think is what's protecting you fear-wise from anything else, it just shrinks. And all of a sudden it's like incredibly small. And so how can you stretch it a little bit and start to stretch a little bit? But I think the biggest thing with fear is changing that relationship in the fact that it's always going to exist. How can you look at it differently and how can you build a different relationship with it? Now, when fear comes up for me, um, I mean, I I make decisions and say yes to things that make absolutely no sense. Just saying that for like people looking on the outside, it makes no sense whatsoever. 
but I've built a different relationship that fear becomes a compass. And if I get excited about something and the opportunity is there and I'm like, oh my God, but how am I going to do that? If that's the second question I ask myself, then that's an ego question for me. It's like, it's just, you're going to have to just keep following through and say yes, but that's me. So can you build a different relationship with fear and what you're making that fear mean about you? Because the story that you're telling yourself is far more important than the actual story that's happening. I was dealing with teen substance abuse. That was the story. That was, that was a story. It was a fact. It was what we were living. The story that I was telling myself about the story was that I had failed as a mom. I was like, I, I had screwed up everything. That story was killing me more than the actual story. So we have the story and we have the narrative of the story that is really important to differentiate between the two. When I uh, hear you talk about that person that you had to push back on on your podcast, I think of uh, this quote, which is, a, it's a little jumbled, but you'll get the point. It's basically, it says, anyone who says they aren't scared is either stupid or dead. <laughs> oh my God, I love that story. I love it. I mean- it's true because then the other quote that latches onto that perfectly is that we don't get – when we start doing things that make us a little uncomfortable, we don't get less scared. We get more brave and there's a huge difference. There's oh a God, huge difference. Huge. What a great – I love that, more brave. I absolutely love that. Now, I think you can't get more brave until you start moving, yes. right? And this is a big misconception because a lot of people will say, if I just had the courage that you had, I'm like, well, I'm not courage in the beginning. Like I didn't have any courage in the beginning. I just actually, I was so sick and tired of the position that I was in, that I was open to trying anything. And I think this is, this is going to lead into something I just shared recently that like the good is the enemy of great, right? When you look at um, Jim Collins and the work that he talks about, but when things are that bad, and you throw that lifeline out and say, like, I, there was a moment I'm like, you just show me the way. And I'm, I'm like, I want out of this. I don't want to live this way anymore. So when you are open, when things are bad enough, you're open to trying something and saying, okay, I just, I, I've got to find another lifeline. And that's literally what started to happen for me is was like, then it started to stretch and went, okay, well, that was, I thought that was really scary, but I did it. And it actually wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be right. Like you create some feedback there with, with fear. Um, but just a quick thing I want to say about that podcast guest that I had the, the other reason I didn't believe what they were saying. Like, I, I don't think that that's true, that you don't feel that anymore, but I also don't want, it's really important to me to be real with people. I don't want to tell people stuff like that. And I don't want them to hear that you shouldn't ever feel fear again because I don't want, because that they're going to use that as a reason to not start. Mm -hmm. Right. So I want to be real and raw with people so that they can see that like we all started somewhere. Like we all started somewhere. And I actually just pulled a clip today from my episode one that I'm going to put into a video and I'm going to put it in the very first one. Why did I name my show? Why did I do this? And it popped up on my timeline today and I went, okay, that's no mistake. And you're going to pull that. And I proudly share that early work because like that messy action that I didn't know better is the work that we all need to start yeah. with because it's, you have to learn as you go. That's how you build a better relationship with fear is you have to get into some kind of action. Yes. Every 
single person that I've spoken to that's in a entrepreneur athlete business on and off podcast Mm -hmm. basically says that you have to accept doubt as part of the process, which is exactly what we're talking about, right? Like people always talk about imposter syndrome also. And I'm like, if you don't feel a little bit of imposter syndrome, I don't think you're doing the thing you think you are doing because like, yeah, I'm putting this thing out in the world and maybe I suck at podcasting, but like some days I think I'm really good at podcasting. But if mm-hmm. you think you're the best in the world all of the time, no matter what, like there's some issue there, right? Yeah. Like it's like anytime a bunch of dudes are hanging out and guy comes and no one's familiar with and he says, I'm the toughest motherfucker here. You know, he's not that tough because he didn't have to tell anyone when he walked in. Like you just act okay. regular and you just be yourself. And then you know, uh, people will know you're tough if the situation arises. If not, we're just hanging out, right? You know, so it's like, yeah. it's like some of those things, but a little off track there. But the point is that like every person I've talked to says you have to accept doubt as part of the process. And how do you overcome that doubt? You just outwork your self-doubt. You outwork it over and over and over and over and every day. And you have to, because new day is, new day is fresh. There's a famous quote from Babe Ruth, who's a famous baseball player, if you guys aren't familiar with baseball. And he said, um, yesterday's home run doesn't win today's baseball game. That's one of my favorite quotes. I mean, it, come on. I mean, come on. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. And I and I love that conversation you're having about doubt. And I, I agree. I think it's I think it is always there. And as you grow into new versions and new visions and new, you know, we're just talking before we started. Like we we're gonna continue to try new things. And if it doesn't work, don't make it mean something about you. Don't make it mean like you tried and you put something out there. But doubt is part of the process. And I had a mentor say it and it stuck with me forever. Honestly, imposter syndrome, the only reason you feel imposter syndrome is because you care. Mm-hmm. Because you care. It's like, it's why is it a bad thing? Like it's actually, you're putting something out there that's new and you care. So that's why you feel. It's just this stretch that this is new. So again, it's I think where we get into trouble is when we make it mean something about us instead of it's just data, it's just info. Yeah, it is. I I have a question about um, you being a, a mother and how you sort of overcame those feelings. Because I, in real time, you know, watch my mom struggle with that. I know. Um, and it's so hard because, like, she did, she she does, and did the best she could, like straight up. I feel like I'm the luckiest person mm-hmm. in the whole world, and I know my sister said the exact would say would say and does say and would say the exact same thing and it's um you know how have you navigated those those feelings wow this is um and i often think of your mom i do because i mean i had you i we had such a beautiful conversation on um my show and we've actually walked through three cases of um people we know since January who died by suicide. So it's not like it's, it doesn't stop. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't stop. And, um, I actually had a conversation with, uh, it was a good friend of ours and it was her dad and I had a really interesting conversation with him. And I think that, um, first off, I just, I honor all parents. I think it's a, it's, it's a hard journey as it is period. And, um, second, there's no one answer that can definitely, um, support them. I think at the end of the day, some of the things that I had to do to navigate, um, were really like zooming out and asking myself, 
did I do everything that I could possibly do? Did I, have I tried everything? Is there somebody that I haven't called? Is there something that I haven't tried? Is there something that, and I used to have this list that I would compile of all of the things and resources that I could reach out and, and have access to. And I remember having a moment when the counselor said to me, yeah, you've done everything on the list. And I'm like, okay, but I still have the problems and I don't understand what I'm supposed to do with that. And I remember the counselor saying, it's because it's not your problem to solve. And that's painful. I'm not going to lie. That was a really painful moment because it's like, I don't understand what you mean. My kids are minors. How can it not be my problem to solve? And for me personally, they just said at that point that if your kids decide to come back to you, you need to be a springboard for them. And you're nothing but a pile of quicksand right now. You can help anyone if you want to harsh, but it was true. It was very, very where I was. And so I actually had to start to learn forgiveness and forgiveness is a tricky one. It's a real trigger for a lot of people. And, um, I understand that when it comes to forgiveness though, I couldn't figure out how to forgive my kids for what they had, like what we were walking through but I had to learn how to forgive myself first hmm. and feel like, like, what have I done? What is mine to own? What can I take responsibility for? And I really had to have a lot of like heart to hearts with myself. I've done a lot of um, therapy work in forgiving those, the stories that I've told myself and um, have been navigating that. And I think as a parent in those kinds of shoes that, you know, being able to talk to other parents, being able to connect and share those experiences with, I think are important. Um, I have had people and I'm not, I just want to share this piece. I've had many people say to me, at least you didn't lose them. And, and I know where that comes from. And I, and I understand that but I did lose them for a long time. I had to walk away. Like literally I had to walk away to figure out how I was going to be able to parent in this. And when I let go at that time, they were not my kids anymore. Hmm. They were not, they were like, they were different versions of themselves. And that was a really painful time to be able to just let go and figure out how am I going to navigate this? And so I don't think, I think it's something, especially just like grief, it is something that you'll navigate through for most of your life. I, I really do. I think it doesn't, there's no time that it's like, oh, well, it's the one year mark. We're good now. That's just not how it works. Yeah. It's just, I get people say it, it drives me crazy. It's just not how it works. Um, but I do think that navigating it completely on your own and being trapped within your own thoughts is is probably not going to be the way through. Yeah, it's you need you need a little support. You know, you, mm -hmm. you have to have. You know, like I shared with you, it's like me it was like being around people who also experienced being suicide loss survivors, and knowing that some of the challenging emotions that I was feeling didn't make me a horrible human being. They just made me a person doing or going through this thing, and you know. Uh, but parents, I mean, me experiencing it and my parents experiencing it, it's totally different feelings. I, I have 
I do the best I can to try to relate with them. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we spend as much time together and I'm grateful that they're, they're still, I mean, we have a beautiful relationship and I, I'm grateful for that, but I know it's hard, you know, it, it always hovers over us, of you course. Know, um, especially at family events and going out to dinner and anniversaries and birthdays and things like that. And, and then you have, you know, people like this, this woman who shared that thing with you, you have these sort of empty platitudes that people share. Um, and, you know, some of them, and I, I know I take the Brene Brown route of assuming that everyone is doing the best they can. And so I do that, but it doesn't mean that that thing that they said at that moment in time was not stupid because it was. Oh, no, it's no, no, no. Sorry. But when it comes to grief, there's like no shortage of people saying stupid things. If you don't know <laughs> so... you me on something. You, you just caught me on something there. I think that um, if you don't know what to say, then then find a way to say nothing or just be there. I, I had, you know, as I share with this, this, at this celebration of life and speaking with the father and his daughter had walked through a horrific situation. There's no question. It was a horrific, it really was. And she had a lot of uh, factors that contributed into the decisions that she made and where she was at. And he just, I know he said specifically, he's like, how do I read her story now and not feel so much sadness? Cause she had published, we had helped her publish. We had done a lot of, it was a really, it's, it was a really heavy one. And, um, she got her story out there and he said, how do I read that and not relive her trauma? Because I know what she walked through to me. First off, I was like, I'm so proud of you for asking that question. So can we just like, again, I just, I wanted to honor him because what a, like a bold, brave question. I was so proud of him for asking. He's like, how do I do this? And I said, could you look at her as like, and, and recognize the courage that it took for her to write and share that story that was in her. That was a big part of her, like honor, honor the good in them and you just stirred up something for me. You know, I've shared, I've walked through mental health with both of my kids. And, um, one of the things that it's like, I've had even the conversations about, um, suicide I have because we've, we've experienced attempts and it's a case of, I love you. I am here for you. I am not going to judge you or criticize you. And I also know I can't make you want to be here. Mm-hmm. I have spent my life trying to make you want to be here. So if you choose to go that route, and I'm sorry, this is too much info. I know you're the kind of conversation that we can have this with. Please. Um, if you choose to go that route, it will crush me. It will like, it will be hard. I, I don't say that out of space of guilt. Of course it will be hard. And I also am at a different point in my journey that I will know that that was a choice that you made. Hmm. You like you were in a space of me. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that's not where it comes to, but I also know that I have turned over every single rock that I can turn over. And for that has to be enough right now. It's a tough, I know this is a really tough topic. It is, but it's important, right? Because people in real time, are are dealing with this exact thing all over the world all over uh, at m- many more people than we can than we can reach or we can count so 
It has to be. It has to be discussed. We have to bring these things out of the darkness because that's where they lie. They lie in the darkness. Whether it's a taboo thing, I can't talk about it because of this, because of that. I don't want to look bad in front of my peers, or the shame, or the guilt, or whatever the case may be. Is but interesting enough, you've obviously found this to be true that more people are dealing with this than we could ever imagine. And if we talk about it more, we're connected in that way that's so deep and profound that we're going to create a connection that can bring this thing out of the darkness and maybe save people's lives like legit in a real way like and so it's it's uh it's important and it's much more than important but i don't i don't i don't my vocabulary is not expansive enough to have a more bigger word than important so important uh, is great you can use important it's it's awesome um i'm going to tie that back into what we're talking about earlier with fear do you think this if you're listening is like is this an easy topic to have is this an easy conversation to have no, it's not easy. And you have two people here who have experienced some of this very much firsthand. And we can start to change the story and the topic when we bring it from the darkness into the light. And I, I know in the beginning, it was really hard to even have these conversations. But now it's like, it's, I can see the light and the impact by starting to have more of these conversations. There is no shortage of people who are affected by this. No shortage. It's, it, it is such a bigger problem than what we think. So I think the only way to start to change the conversation, as you said, is to have it and to bring it out into the light. Yes. Yes. That's definitely the first step. And that's ha been happening. You know, it's gotten better, right? The next step is the things we also discussed here, building a toolbox of action. Have mm -hmm. to get into action. Nothing will change unless you get into action. And I imagine that's where your, uh, I'll call it your catchphrase because I used to be a professional wrestler. So I think it's cool of uh, radical responsibility. That's, that's your catchphrase. Right. And so <laughs> it is uh, my catchphrase. yeah, yeah, I figured, I don't know if it was born out of this situation, but I figured it came from some of the stuff that you're dealing with. Can you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that, that, that word, that phrase I started using probably like seven or eight years ago. And to this day, I still use it. And it actually came up on my very first episode. So it's like, okay, well, I'm still speaking the same language. Um, radical responsibility came from a point that when you're living in a situation where you are trying to fix, manage, or control somebody else, then you are not taking responsibility for yourself. And that is the only space that change comes from. Sorry for the parents who are listening, because they know that that's really hard to hear. But the change comes from us first. And when you're in a space of not owning your choices and taking radical responsibility for yourself, you're likely sitting in a place of blame and blame is it, no change happens from there. No change happens from victim space. And, and I know I lived there for a really long time. And so radical responsibility meant that all day long. And I mean, I wish I could have counted how many times an hour I would have to do this because I think it would blow people's minds. I would stop and it would be like, okay, wait, no, no. Is that's their choice? What's my choice? Oh, right. Okay. So this is what I have to do next. And radical responsibility is coming back home on a regular basis, knowing that if I wanted to create change in any area, I had to take responsibility for it. That meant I had to stop blaming my kids for not having any time for me. I had to stop blaming everyone else for where my life was at. And it's like, what can I actionably do today that can create change? And 
it wasn't, again, being bad enough in the situation. It wasn't about, ooh, how can I thrive? No, no. It was how can I survive one more day? And so what could I do to take responsibility and be able to like survive this moment, to get to the next moment, to get those wins under my belt, to continue to go? And radical responsibility is like really tiny, actionable choices all day long that will eventually add up. And it's amazing what can happen, right? Like we're the one person that we take to every single situation. So there was a lot of things that I couldn't control about what was happening with my kids, but learning how to take responsibility for myself meant I was able to pour back into myself. I was learning how to respond differently. I was learning how to show up differently. That starts to change the story. That starts to change the situation around you. And when that happens, then more things start to change. So if I'm ever in a space of like feeling, blaming somebody else, or I'm angry at someone else, immediately I'm like, "Mm, no, what do you need to take responsibility for right now? And that's just my reminder to come back home and stand in that space of ownership. It's very freeing when you can learn how to do it, but it does take a lot of work. A ton of work. But yeah, like, like you said, you have the ability now to to make the choices, the daily habits that will create that will create your life. And I imagine that's where the podcast name came from, right? From that or did, or did it go the other way around? So, um I think I it's interesting because I think that's where the podcast name came from. I think radical responsibility came first and I like own your choices own your life. It, it those words I I said to myself over and over and over. It's like what's your choice, Marsha? What's your choice? Okay, yeah, they're doing this over here and you can't control this, but what's your choice? all right, well, you've got all kinds of family stuff happening here and you don't actually feel like going and putting yourself in that environment. So what's your choice? Like, it's really easy to stand in a group of people. I'm really clear on like energy and boundaries and what I'm around. And there'll be times where we're in something like in an actual environment and I'll be standing there and I'll listen to the person talk and I'm like, "Mm, nope, I don't need to stand here. And I turn and I'm leaving and I'll just look at my husband. I'm like, nope, nope. And I leave. And it's interesting. I want to share this. It's not, I'm not going to stand there and go like, you're wrong, Aaron, you shouldn't talk like this. And you, that, that's not responsibility. Hmm. Radical responsibility is me deciding what do I choose to have my boundaries and what do I choose to be around? And you do you that. And I, and so I don't make it about you that I'm leaving. I make it about choosing me. And that's a very different energy and space to come from first. Yes. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a perfect framework, right? Cause I'm not saying your energy sucks. You're the worst person. I can't be around you. I'm saying this is for me. I'm taking responsibility yeah. about how I feel and the inputs that I take in and what I consume. And I'm just going to easily walk away or move myself or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a perfect framework, perfect framework. And I think what sort of ties all of this stuff together is, is sort of what you're all about, right? This idea of storytelling, getting people's stories out there first, initially you leading the way with your own story and then trying to cultivate a community of people who who are going to share their own and, and help people do that. So how are you, how do you have this ability to help people share their story when the stories can be extremely painful, hard, shame, guilt ridden stories? Yeah. How do I have that? Um, I don't know. I feel like I have a different vision and a different insight for 
the behind the scenes part of the story. And I am able to like separate it out and look at it in a way and help them to see it in a way that, you know, those things that you think are the most unrelatable parts of yourself that you're judging, you're so critical of are actually the things that relate to, to other people. Like you're craving community, you're craving connection with other people, but you desperately want to hide all of these parts to yourself. But those are the pieces that help you to build the connection with other people. And so it's really like we we start to break it down and look at like, what's the story? What's the story that's been on repeat? What have you lived and walked through? What lessons do you know better than anyone else? And what would it feel like to see that story differently and look at it? And majority of people who do reach out to me have got stories. I feel like I've almost heard it all. I honestly, I mean, I just some I'm absolutely blown away with. Um, but these people inspire the crap out of me because they want to do something good with what they've walked through. Yeah. They, they just might have never even had the thought that that was possible before. I didn't. I didn't have that thought. Like I, to it was really one turning point when I said to a counselor, like, no one is talking about these difficult things. Like podcasting, we're still very curated in 2017. You know, it was very much um, like, what does it look like? What do you see aesthetically? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm so sick and tired of everything looking perfect. Then I feel like I'm the only person in the world who's not walking that. And I'm tired of people not talking about difficult things in life. And she said, maybe that's because you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. um, that was the moment. That was, I'm not kidding. That was the moment I was like, that's ridiculous. And hmm, <laughs> what, hmm, maybe it is like, maybe it is. And so that's kind of where it started is just being able to look at the story differently. For me personally, I went from being very angry, very much a victim, very much in a space of that I'm not proud of, but I had to be there. And shifting to letting go a lot of the idealistic pictures of what I thought I was supposed to look like, what my life was supposed to look like, and loving my kids for who they were, rebuilding relationships with them. And actually, like even when I wrote my book, I, I attribute everything I've learned to them. Like, so it's, it's I think that what we're walking through is teaching us something. We just get to decide what that meaning is. And um, that's really some of the work that we get to do. Now, first off, people say, who is this for? If, and I can tell you within, within seconds on a call with somebody, if you're in an angry space of being a victim of your story and you want to explain and justify why this has happened to you, you're gonna be doing that for a long time. No change is going to come from there. No change ever happens in that mindset. And some people will spend their life in that mentality because that's who they are and that's okay. But that's the first thing is a person has to be wanting to see it differently. They want to be able to look at it differently. How can I, how can I do something with this? And then it's just really starting to do the work from there in far as um, helping them to put that story together, but really pulling out the pieces that they've learned, right? Like we all have lessons and stories that we've learned on repeat in our lives. Repeat. I, I have stories that I've learned repeat my whole life over and over. We just don't stop and look at it and go, wait, I've lived this so many times over. And I think I'm actually ready to learn the lessons from it now.
Yeah, they're going to keep showing up over and over and over again, you know, but so that's, many times. that's why it's also beautiful when you see and hear someone else's story, right? Because mm -hmm. it gives you the chance to look at it way differently than you would look at your own story. And there's so many probably similarities there. That's why it resonated so deeply with you. And you're like, oh, yeah, like I'm not the only one on earth who feels like this. Like this person also feels guilty and shameful and resentful and bitter and they're angry at the world, but they're now they're not. Wow. And they had this clarity of mind to be able to share this story in a vulnerable space, knowing that people are going to not say nice things about them, but some people are going to say amazing things about them because you're not going to always win. And understanding that before you get really vulnerable in a public facing thing, which is what social media is. And, and then there's so much power in that. And then it uplifts, you know, people that you have no idea because not everyone that reads the story and gets positively impacted by it is going to send you a message. They're just going to go about their life and be positively impacted by it. And that is one of the coolest things I think um, about anything, whether it's a podcast, you're writing a blog, you made a book or whatever the case may be. So the work you're doing and helping people get there uh, is no small thing. And I think you know that that's why you keep doing the work. And I think that's why you keep showing up every day. But I think it's also nice that people tell us that we're doing good things and acknowledge us for our work. So, Okay, I'm going to receive that. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm going to receive that because I also think that um, it, we block ourselves, right, from receiving a lot. And sometimes we're getting those, we're getting messages. Um, you know, you might get, you, say if you got 100 comments and you get like one dumbass comment that comes through that's absolutely horrific. And then how much time do you spend on the one when you get 99 people there going like, thank you, thank you, this is helping me, thank you. So again, being very mindful where we put that attention and what we focus on because you're never going to get criticized from somebody who's doing more than you. It's just never going to happen. It's, right. I'm sorry, it's going to happen from the, it comes from the people who you, your light is triggering them. It, it is triggering something in them. And my response to that is, shine brighter seriously because the other 99 are going thank god please thank you for showing me what is possible so please don't put the attention on the one because that one is always there and for the 99 comments that you do get especially when you're dealing with like vulnerable stories and difficult stories like this i guarantee you there's hundreds others that didn't respond mm -hmm. you're exactly right what you just said i loved i will get messages from somebody and they'll say can you help me with my story? Can we connect in this? I'm like, great. Can I ask you where we connected? Oh, I've been following your content for a year. Never once seen a comment. Didn't right. even see their name before. Right? Not once. And so people are watching you. I often say your cheerleaders will sometimes sit um, quietly until you say the one thing that might trigger them to feel like it's safe for them to reach out for you. And they'll connect. Your critics, <laughs> they're just waiting for any chance to jump on something that you say. So there, you can't help them. And you know, it's interesting because I think it's important. We're all, we all get them. We all get the comments. Um, you get to do what you want with them, but don't give them a ton of energy is what you get to do whatever you want. You want to delete it. Cool. Block it. Cool. Do whatever you want. That's good for your energy. Um, me personally, I laugh and I say, honestly, that with my critics, like you're just giving me more content you just give me more content. Like you're giving me more content to talk about. You give me fuel that this is, I'm not going to shy away on talking about difficult topics because it's helping other people. So you get to do with what you want, but just please recognize that what is the actual percentage of those people 
who are in that space saying negative things because it's probably really, really small in the big, big picture, but don't put your energy on that one. Yeah. Keep your, keep your energy on just doing what you're doing, right. And what you actually like to do, which is writing a blog, you know, posting about your dog or your family or doing a podcast. And like, that's the thing, you know, if you fall in love with the thing, which you know, from doing, you know, 500 episodes of a podcast, you'd only do that if you just like doing the thing, right? So I know it's so funny. It's actually so funny because I think I've, I like, I think I probably have, um, we've recorded well over 600. My other show had a hundred. And so that's 700. I've probably been a guest on a hundred shows. Like I say, 800, like I wouldn't do it if I didn't like it. I wouldn't do it because I think I'm supposed to. So find the things that you like doing and keep doing them because it's, I always felt called to do podcasting and I never really understood why, because I didn't know anything about it. But I felt like there was this connection. And that's one of the, my favorite things about podcasting is all the people that I've got to meet and all the stories that I just, they just blow me away. Yeah. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful medium and it's still very new and it's sort of creation. So uh, I'll call, I'll call me and you trailblazers because we're on the frontier of it. Right. You know, barely like 20 years into podcasting, it's still brand new. So pretty cool. But I have uh, one last question for you. Mm -hmm. And I can't take credit for this question. I stole it from Tim Ferriss. So maybe you've heard him talk about it on his podcast before, but I like the question. So I'm going to ask you, um, if you were going to put up a billboard and millions of people were going to see that billboard every single day, what would you put on it? Your story is meant to be shared. Perfect. I would keep it really simple. Your story is meant to be shared. How, in whatever way you share that is up to you. I do believe there's a beautiful thing that when we realize we're not alone and we're more alike than different, a lot of things can change in our own perspective as well as who we can help and reach. So yeah, your story is meant to be shared. Beautiful. Well, thank you. And if you want to learn more or find Marsha, talk to her, listen to her podcast, all of that stuff. Just click the links in the show notes. It's all there. And uh, I appreciate your time, Marsha. Thank you so much. And uh, see everyone next time. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Marsha. What was your biggest takeaway? What resonated most deeply with you. And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbits directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes and see which tier might work best for you. But most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.